Y'all like that one? That was good, wasn't it? Kristen, Kristen's got that, that voice that can just take it to the next level, though, doesn't she? I just, whoo, mm, hey. I was, um, I was getting ready for this message, and I kind of went down memory lane a little bit, and I guess I could start out by asking you a question. What is, what is the movie that you went to see, like back in the day, you went to see a movie, and it literally impacted you, like it affected you, like it changed you. I, I, I don't go to the, to the movie theater a lot because the last time I went there, I had, to, I had to finance my popcorn and my drink. It was unreal. I walked up and I said, I want popcorn and drink and some chocolate-covered raisins because that's what I've always gotten at the theater. And they said, that'll be $878. And so I made payments. So I'm still making payments on my, on my stuff. But anyway, um, I, I was thinking back to back in the day when you could get $2 popcorn and it was just as good as the popcorn we get today. Um, but I was thinking back to the movies that have affected my life. I, like I saw them and they impacted me. The first was the first movie I ever cried in. The first movie I ever cried, like I cried in the movie. Doesn't happen a lot. Pro- yeah, it does actually. But um, the first movie I ever cried in was The Fox and the Hound. Yeah, it's pretty, it pretty jacked up when the way they ended it, where they couldn't be friends. I didn't like that. I cried a little bit because the hound dog and the fox couldn't be friends. All kind of, Savannah Smiles. Anybody see Savannah Smiles? Listen, man, that, 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 that movie does not make you smile. It breaks your heart. If you, if you don't cry in that movie, you don't have a heart. Let's go home. Um, but the movie, the movie that impacted me, one of the movies that impacted me the most when I was, I was younger was, um, some, of you, some of you have seen this movie. You haven't seen this movie. It's okay. God still loves you. Not as much, but he still loves you, all right, is, is Rocky Four. Now, let me, let me, let me kind of set this up. My dad and my, my brother, who was a, and both of, them, both of them are now passed away, but they were both living at the time, and we went to see this movie together, and um, I'd never seen a Rocky movie in the theaters. I'd seen one, two, and three, but they were all on like HBO or whatever, and I went to see this movie, and it was epic. It was epic because some of you remember when this movie came out, the Cold War was a very real thing, and so Rocky beat Russia, like Rocky defeated communism. And so I was all about it. But, but the, I think the thing that impacted me the most was the masculinity that Rocky had to display to overcome everything he was facing. Because if you saw this movie, he had to overcome like some emotional stuff because everybody was telling him he couldn't do it. He had to overcome some relational stuff because remember Adrian, she said she wasn't gonna come and then she came, remember that? A woman will do that to you, right? Don't, women, don't miss next week. We're gonna have so much fun. He had to overcome some physical challenges. Remember, he's out there chopping wood and he's running from the KJB and he ran to the top of the hill and he screamed, Drago! And then he fought and it was amazing. And I remember seeing that movie and being like, that's the man. And so now for me, if I go to a movie, I listen, I'm not your rom-com guy. I'm not gonna go. I need for somebody to get beat up. Like when I saw Taken, I was like, yeah, yeah, I got kicked out of the theater. But anyway, the first 20 minutes were awesome. He's just whipping people, right? Now, the, the, the thing with that is, is I'm talking about masculinity and there's a movement in our society that has labeled all masculinity as toxic. You've heard, you've heard this. There's something they call toxic masculinity. Now, I believe in toxic masculinity. I believe in that. I believe men that use their power and their strength to abuse people, like abuse people weaker than them, or or like when a man like is toxic. Let me just say, when a man hits a woman, it's not good. It sucks. In fact, I've always said this anytime I speak on it. If you're a man, and you got a problem hitting a woman, next time you feel the urge, give me a call. I would love to make a pastor visit to your home. You can hit on me for a little while. There's a warning. I hit back. <laughs> and if you can take me, I got some guys in this church that you cannot take. Right. Who, who are they? They're our deacons. That's that with <laughs> me and the deacons will come to your house, all right? We just want to help you get that rage out. 
But there is, there is a thing called toxic masculinity, and because of that, there's a movement that has labeled all masculinity as toxic. And so what, what seems to be happening in our society today is people are telling men to not be men. I went on, I, I typed in Google the other day, top hobbies for men. The first article that popped up, number one hot hobby for men to pursue was yoga. Listen, you might be a dude and you might do yoga. Listen, I, I'm not, I don't even know to talk about yoga. I'm, number two, number two was um, cooking. Number five was food photography. So I scroll, I was like, who wrote this? A woman. <laughs> I, I'm just, now, now, if you do yoga or food photography, like good on you, all right? I mean, I'm proud of you. I, I'm just saying that the world is trying to tell men it's not okay to be men. And I'm telling I, today, I hope that you'll hear in this message permission to, to be masculine, but be masculine in a godly way. Because see, Jesus, Jesus, we always talk about Jesus in church, but we've always talked about Jesus as the Lamb of God. And he was the Lamb of God. He is the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the world. He paid for our sins. He is and was the Lamb of God. But we don't talk about him as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Jesus is, Jesus is a man's man. In Revelation 19, when Jesus comes back to earth, he's riding a white horse, he's wearing a robe dipped in blood, and a sword is coming out of his mouth. I'm not messing with that guy if he walks in the room. Guy walks in the room with a bloody robe and a sword come out of his mouth. I'm like, I'm on his team. I don't even care what he stands for. What's up, dog? Give me that fist bump, all right? So today I want to talk to you about how it's okay to be a man. It's okay to be strong. It's okay to be masculine in a godly way. Today's going to be a message that um, if you've been, let me, let me just say this, and I say this often as a disclaimer, the longer you've been in church, the more disturbing this message will be. Y'all ready for it? I hope so. Number one, four qualities of a godly man. A godly man will pursue the Lord. A godly man. Now, let me, let me, when I say pursue, let's say this chair represents Jesus. And if we're, if we're gonna be godly men in our walk with Jesus, we've got to be facing him, taking a step toward him, pursuing Jesus. And we've got a couple options. We can, we can pursue Jesus or we can pursue sin. Now, it's completely possible to have this posture in church where we got our back towards Jesus and we got our eyes on something else. It's a check. And let me just say this, man. As somebody who is in the fight with you, I, I don't have this figured out. I'm just telling you, if we're going to become like Jesus, then we have to be intentional about pursuing Jesus. Let me, let me, show, you, let me show you what I mean and let me show you why I think this is exciting because if we're honest, a lot of us have been told pursuing Jesus is boring and lifeless. And that's not true. I know boring, lifeless people, but not, not that truly pursue Jesus. Jesus, watch this. Jesus, the Bible says in John 2, 13, it was nearly time for the Jewish Passover, we're going to say this word on three, one, two, three, celebration. I love that word and that song, cool in the game. Jew, Jewish Passover celebration. So Jesus went to Jerusalem. Now, this verse is loaded, so give me just a second to do a little backstory on it so I can catch us all up. The Jewish people were enslaved by the Egyptians for 430 years. They were slaves for 430 years. And then God moved and set them free. And then when God moved and set them free, he said, you are, from now on, once a year, every year, I want you to celebrate the fact that I set you free. It became known as the Passover supper. We still celebrate this tradition today in the church. We just call it 
the Lord's Supper. And that's a whole nother message for a whole nother time. But the number one word, when God begins to describe to the Jewish people what they're supposed to do during this time, the number one word used to describe this is the word celebration. Celebrate, celebrate. In other words, don't miss this. God's not after our begrudging submission. God wants you and I to be filled with joy. And the only way, men, that we're gonna find joy is if we find ourselves in him and finding ourselves in him is a daily process and it really is a fight sometimes. The reason I love this is because Jesus, who is God, who, who is God in the flesh, literally is modeling for us in this verse, Jesus places himself in submission to the word of God by doing what the word of God says. The reason Jesus goes to Jerusalem is because he's submissive to the word of God. Which brings me to a point I wanna make that it is a spiritual impossibility to pursue Jesus and to pursue sin at the same time. Now it's quiet, so let me explain, because there's some people that are tense. I didn't say it is a spiritual impossibility to pursue Jesus and to struggle with sin. In fact, if you're pursuing Jesus, this side of heaven, you're gonna struggle with sin. You're gonna struggle with sin, not because you're a bad person, but because we live in a fallen world. And guess what? Nobody had to teach us how to sin. We were literally born little sinners. Am I right? I tell you, listen, I tell you, I'm trying my best to follow Jesus. Trying my best to follow Jesus, but just, just within the past week or two, I had a horrible, horrible argument with Shannon in my mind, not out loud. <laughs> she was in the last service. She just found out about this, but, but I got mad. Let me tell you why I got mad. I just, and, and it, I just snapped. It was just one of those mornings. I got up. I was in a bad mood. Walked in, opened up the trash can. We got, two, we got one of those things that has two trash cans, and both of them were full. Now, we have this thing, I think. We've never really talked about it. We probably will this afternoon, but we've never really talked about it where, <laughs> where if the trash can's full, you don't take the trash out. You just yeah, you push it down. And, and this is a struggle I can tell in a lot of homes right now. You just, you push it down and, and you wait on your spouse to take it out. And so I opened up the little trash can thing the other day and a couple water bottles fell out. And I was like, I've had it. I have had it. I was angry. I was mad. I was thinking of the things that I was going to say to her. Have you ever... It, it, Men, has it ever worked out in your mind, but it didn't work out when you said it quite like it did in your mind? God saved me. Because I was being sinful and I was being selfish. And right as I was about to say, baby, come in here for a minute, God spoke to me and said, how many times have you mopped the floor? How many times have you made the bed? How many times? I got it. I got it. I got it. <laughs> Shannon walks in the kitchen. She said, like, what you doing? I said, baby, I'm taking out the trash. Look at me. I, I, I am so happy. God changed my attitude. That's what he'll do. He'll do that in the moment. I hate it when he does that, but he'll do that in the moment, right? Because he wants us to keep our pursuit on him. Now, let me ask you a question. Single guys, single guys, single men. Single means you're not married. How many of my single guys do I have in the room? Single guys, raise your hand. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Hold them high. Hold them high. Girls, I'm trying to help you all out. You scope around. Scope, 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 scope. There we go. Let me tell you this, single guys. You cannot pursue a woman properly unless you're pursuing Jesus. And this is why. If you're not pursuing Jesus, you won't pursue her. You'll chase her. And you'll chase her. And when you chase something, you chase it till you get what you want. And when you get what you want, you leave it. But when you pursue, when you pursue, it's different. We're told in the book of Proverbs, chapter 18, verse 22, the man who finds a wife, the man who finds, not the man who swipes right, 
Oh, oh, oh. I don't know what that means. Somebody just told me to say it. I... The man who finds a wife finds a treasure and he receives favor from the Lord. Okay, man, listen. I set y'all up for an amen right there. If you're sitting next to your wife, it was so beautiful. The setup was, all you had to do was amen and squeeze your wife and you were gonna have a great afternoon. <laughs> Mess that up. Man who finds a wife. Finds, now, I've had single girls ask me this question. Pastor P, what about girls? Listen, don't chase a guy. Don't chase a guy. We'll talk more about that next week, but you're valuable. But you can drop a hint. Like, for example, in the lobby today, if a guy walks up to you and says, hey, what's your name? Just say, favor. <laughs> Men, did you know, did you know that that woman you're married to, you can't pursue her properly unless you're pursuing Jesus? Amen. Yeah. That was actually not the place to amen, but that's... Man, we got some work to do. We, 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 are, we, we got some work to do. Amen, amen, all the men, amen. All right, here we go. Because Peter, Peter said this, watch this. Peter said, in the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding. Uh, treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you. Pause. There's some woman right now, you just got mad. That's true. Your, your husband, all this, all this means is your husband can bench press more than you. Now, I know there's a woman here, I can bench press. Okay, we're glad you're here, Helga. We're glad you married <laughs> Eugene. We're glad that y'all are both here. But Helga, you got to understand that you are the exception. <laughs> this just says that men are physically stronger. And for the most part, that is true. Please don't email me about your exception. She may be weaker than you, um, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Watch this, guys. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. God said, you don't treat your wife right? Don't talk to me. Now, men, let me show you the challenge here. This is bothersome. The only way we can do this is pursuing Jesus. The Bible commands us to do something. Treat your wife with understanding. The NIV says to live with your wife in an understanding way. God literally says to husbands, understand your wife. And some of you men right now are going, there's no way. Because <laughs> she's a different woman every week, right? God made her that way so she would never get old. You're always pursuing a different person even though you're with the same person. And God will lead you in this, and it'll be amazing. Let me tell you. So, so um, a couple weeks ago, Shannon and I got in an argument. And it, I, it wasn't about the trash, because God worked, but we got in an argument over something stupid. And I took the dogs. I was like, I'm taking the dogs outside. I took the dogs outside. I came back in, and she was at the little coffee maker making her sleepy time tea. And I was out, outside. I was rehearsing what I was going to say when I got back inside. I was rehearsing it. I had my line down. I had, like, it was, it was going to be awesome. I walked back in, and as I was walking up the steps, I was like, okay, God, if this isn't the right thing to say or do, I need you to correct me. And so right when I walked in the room, I got there. She's at the coffee maker. She got a back turned to me, and God spoke to me. <laughs> he said, pop her on the butt. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm going to need some confirmation on this. I'm going to need one of my dogs to talk. I'm going to need to see a naked Smurf. I'm, I'm something, God. I'm going to need something. And I'm telling you, I promise you, he said, pop her on the butt. All right, well, I'm going to do this and tell her that you said to do it. But anyway, so, I, so she's mad. I walked up behind her. I just popped her on the butt, and she giggled. God said, do it again. She giggled the second time. It's a good night. I'm not going to tell y'all the rest. I'm just saying, if you, if you, if you, if you 
follow Jesus, he's going to lead you in the right direction. Real men, real men follow Jesus. And it's a, it's a daily thing, man. It's a daily, we have to be intentional about our pursuit. We have to be intentional about it, which leads to point number two. A godly man will see as Jesus sees. A godly man will see as Jesus. In other words, Jesus will change the way that we view the world. When I was, um, years and years and years ago, I was, I was the annoying football fan that you didn't want to sit near. And here's why. I knew all the plays that should be ran. Every time the, the coach would like run the ball, I would yell, why didn't you pass? And then, and then I was the guy that for my own team, like they're out there playing their hearts out and the receiver misses the ball. And I'm like, you idiot. How do you miss that? Or the guy would fumble, you idiot. How can you fumble? I'm sitting there and then, you know, so I was that guy for the longer. I could have caught that ball. I couldn't have caught the ball. You know why I couldn't have caught the ball? Because I was in the stands. If I could have caught the ball, I'd have been on the field at some point. But I played football two years and I guarded the bench. I was the best bench warmer in the world. But for some reason, when I went to the game, I thought I knew everything. So I had the privilege of sitting down with a gentleman that played wide receiver for Clemson. He went on to play in the NFL for several years, outstanding career. And I was asking him, I said, what's one of the biggest struggles about being an athlete, being a college athlete? And he, him being a receiver, he said, he says, when I go out for a pass and the ball's in my hand and I drop the ball. He said, do you remember that play a few games back when I was wide open? He had his guy beat by five yards. The ball was thrown to him in his hands. Like it was in his hands and he dropped it. And he said, do you remember that play? Now, I, I remembered the play. I remember what I said about him after the play. I, was, I didn't tell him that. I said, I said yeah, I kind of remember that. I, he said, when I dropped that ball, nobody in the stadium was more disappointed than me. He said, because that's what I'm supposed to do. He said, I, I'm getting a full ride. I'm getting a full scholarship just to catch that ball four or five times a game. And when I fail, nobody struggles with that disappointment more than me. It, it like wrecked me because you know what I realized? When those young men take off their helmets and their shoulder pads, got, they have hearts and they have souls and they have feelings and they're out there trying harder than any of us have ever tried for, and so it completely changed the way I saw the game because I had a conversation with somebody in the game. When we meet Jesus, over time, he will change the way that we see things. Let me, let me, let me set this up. He, he, the author, John, tells us, in the temple area, he saw, he saw, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers. <laughs> I thought about that this week. Second chance. We probably got some dealers. Somebody like, yeah, that's my church. Anyway, he saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. Now, I want to pause real quick because this is one of the most misused verses in the Bible for churches that like they occasionally will have a hat for sale or a t-shirt for sale. And there's always somebody that knows one Bible verse out of context. And they come in going, Jesus threw the money changers out of the temple and y'all are in here selling hats. It's not what it means, Linda, okay? Calm down. That, that, is mis that, is, that is such a misuse of that verse. Let me explain what's going on right here. In the temple system of that day, once a year, they went to Jerusalem for the Passover. And everybody that went took, had to go out into their field or their flock and they had to pick the best lamb, like the best, the unblemished lamb. You didn't bring God your leftovers. You didn't go out into the field and find like the jacked up lamb that had one leg broken and had an eyeball hanging out and had a tongue and like Sarah McLaughlin was singing that song. In the arms of angels. And I had the picture on there. Like that. You didn't take that lamb. You picked the very best you had. So all these people are going out, they're getting their very best lamb and they're bringing it to the temple. And the temple had a racket, they had a system where you had to get your animal inspected and people would inspect the animal and they would say, I mean, it's good, but it doesn't quite meet specifications. Um, and you can, you can take that lamb and 
sacrifice it, but uh, not going to pay for your sins, probably going to go to hell. We don't want that, do we? No. Well, we just happen to have some lambs right over here for sale, and they're pricey, but they'll get the job done. And they were taking advantage of the poor and the weak and the marginalized. And then when people were exchanging foreign money, the, the relig- religious leaders had set up the rule that if you're going to pay the temple tax, you have to pay it with Jewish money, the Jewish coins. And so people would come in and they would say, okay, well, here's one of my dollars because they would come in from another country and I'll give you one of these dollars for one of your dollars. And they would say, oh, no, 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 no. It takes 20 of your dollars to equal one of our dollars. So they're ripping people off. And Jesus, Jesus sees it. Now, the reason this is important is because when we see like Jesus sees, we are more likely to do what Jesus says. And, and I'm telling you, just like I sat down with that football player that day and say, said, teach me how to see the game. You want your world to change? Ask Jesus, help me to see like you see. It'll mess you up in the best sort of way because you will see things that you've never seen in your life, that prayer will literally start, pray it every day and see what happens. Let's lead you to point three. Now, let me say this. This next point in the message is what you call a space maker. This will be the part where people people will leave and they'll say, I ain't coming back to that church because of that part of the message. I get it, I get it. Let me just say this, though. Just as a pastor, I don't normally advocate for myself, but let me just say this. Can you imagine having to get up every week and doing a, let's say you did a book report. Every week you got up and did a book report about the book. Same book. Same book. Do you think you could please everybody every week? No. Little Grace, I get it. Especially if you come from a super church background because you're not going to like this. Y'all ready for it? Nervous laughter. <laughs> a godly man will fight when necessary. Now, I started to ask how many people had ever been in a fight, but this is a second chance, and there's, I mean, there's probably been, probably been a lot of fights um, I'm going to tell you all, before I knew Jesus, before I met Jesus, I used to love to fight. I mean, it was fun. And when I look back, I know why. I had a lot of anger. I had a lot of rage in my life. And so I just felt like, you know, if I had all this anger and all this rage and I had all this hurt, I wanted other people to hurt. And I was pretty good at hurting other people. But then I met Jesus and I had people starting to tell me things like this. A godly man will always walk away from a fight. I mean, it sounds good. And most of the time, it's right. Let's, let's, let's put this, like 95% of the fights that people have are completely unnecessary. But I would actually argue that a godly man will always stand and put his life on the line for the oppressed, the weak, and the marginalized. For example, let's say tonight you decided to break into my house. Bad decision. I'm not going to stand there and go, well, I just love Jesus, and I trust Jesus, so you can just take whatever you know. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight. I'm going to defend my wife. I'm going to defend my child. I'm going to defend my dogs. Like, I'm going to fight. Now, let me give y'all a contemporary illustration, and I'll show y'all how it plays out in Scripture. I used to live downtown, Anderson. Downtown Anderson, you get to meet some remarkable people. Remarkable is my word that I use when I don't know what to say. Wow, that's remarkable. And one day, I met a guy. um, I had no idea who this guy was. I was walking from my office back to my apartment, which was two blocks away. And about a block into the walk, this guy, and some of you from the liquor store, you remember this because I told you all about it, um, he started cussing me. 
I didn't know it at first. Ed, one of our staff members, and I, we were walking down the sidewalk, and I just, I just started, I mean, dropping F-bombs, telling me to do things to myself that it was physically impossible for me to do to myself. <laughs> Some of y'all get that later. <laughs> and, and so Ed and I kind of looked at each other like, what's happening? I turn around, and he's looking at me. It's like, you know that guy? I was like, I don't, I don't think so, but obviously he knows me. And I said, what are you going to do? I said, just keep walking, man. I said, and he followed me all the way to my apartment, cussing me the whole way. This went on for a month. Four or five times a week, I would just get cussed out. That's fine. I've been on Facebook for a while. It happens, you know? So I just, <laughs> I just walked to, I would, never would do it. I'm not going to do anything. You know, I can take it. I could take it. I could take it until the day I couldn't take it anymore. Because I was walking back home. But Karis, my daughter, was with me. She's about 11, 12 years old. She's got Chance, our dog, on the leash. We stopped right in front of Jay Peters, getting ready to cross the street. Cussing man's like 15, 20 yards away. He turns around and he looks and he smirks and he starts cussing and walking toward us. The problem was, he wasn't looking at me. He was looking at Karis. Let me pause and just say, this is where, if you grew up in church, you're expecting the pastor story. This is where the pastor goes, and I stood there on the rock of Jesus Christ, and I grabbed that young man by the hand, and I said, young man, do you know Jesus as your Savior? He said, I don't. I said, pray to receive him right now. He said, Jesus, save me, and today he's a missionary in Congo. <laughs> don't have that story. I'm about to disappoint some people. Because as he's walking toward me, I said, I said, Karis, if something happens, go in there and tell that lady behind that counter to call 911. She said, what's going to happen, Daddy? I said, you don't want to know. Because I'm staring at him the whole time. I'm staring at him. I hadn't moved. I'm staring. About five yards from me, he stopped looking at Karis, and he looked, we made eye contact. I just stared at him, and he turned around, and he walked away. And I'm going to tell y'all, that saved his life. He walked away, and I said, all right, baby, let's go. And Carrie said, Daddy, what were you going to do? I said, baby, it's not important. She said, no, 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 no. Were you going to pray with him? I said, not really. And so she stopped. She literally said, Daddy, I want to know what you were going to do. I said, honestly? She said, yeah. I said, baby, I was going to knock his ass out. <laughs> now, I know some of you are thinking, but Perry, you'd have been arrested and gone to jail and been on the front of the newspaper in this church? I'd have got a raise. I'm just saying, <laughs> get promotion. I, uh, she asked me, she said, Daddy, is that what Jesus would have done? I said, yes, baby. <laughs> she said, how you, now, I know some of y'all are bothered by that. You're like, I can't believe that you were going to hit somebody. Well, here's the deal. It wasn't about me. It was about defending my daughter. And that's part of my job as her father. Right? That's part of my job as a man. One of these days, she's going to go out with a guy. He's going to show up. He's going to talk to me. I'm going to ask him, can you fight? <laughs> I might find out. I might just see what he's got. <laughs> I know you're bothered. The more religious you are, the more bothered, but stay with me. Watch this. Jesus made a whip. <laughs> can you see that? The Bible didn't say that Jesus just went off. Jesus didn't lose control. He wasn't a raging lunatic. In fact, 
This shows his patience and his kindness. He didn't pick up a whip. He didn't buy a whip. He didn't create a whip. He literally sits down, gets some cords, and starts weaving them together. I'm imagining he's looking at the people going, are y'all sure y'all want Y'all sure you don't want to do this? He's given them a chance to repent. He's given them a chance to change while he's making the whip. Eventually, he sees they're not going to change, so he starts singing a song. I'm going to whip somebody. And so he's just kind of singing. I read the Bible differently. He stands up, stretches. Tells John, get this on video. We're going to put it on YouTube. (laughs) He made a whip from the ropes and chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and the cattle, scattered the money changers' coins over the floor, and turned over their tables. This is like barroom brawl clearing the house Jesus. He's throwing punches, throwing whips, kicking butts, taking names. And I'm sure all the religious people going, godly people wouldn't act like that. And then the Bible says, then going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Jesus went off because he was defending the weak, the marginalized, and the oppressed. Men, We are called as men to defend the weak, the marginalized, and the oppressed. We are called to use our strength when necessary. So listen, listen, diplomacy, talk about it, try to work it out, that's fine. But there comes a time when we have to stand up and speak out about what is right and what is wrong, especially in the culture wars that are going on today. Let me just talk about something very specific. Can you feel it? If you're transgender, I'm glad you're here. This is the safest church for you to attend in Anderson. I'm, I'm, I'm super thankful for you. You're created in God's image, and I know God has a plan for your life. I I know things are happening all across America with the transgender movement in California and New York and Florida and Georgia. I don't know what's happening in those states, but I know what's happening. Listen, I can only speak for myself and I can only speak for this state. And I can say this very clearly to people out there in, in education or whatever, if you're trying to confuse our children about sexuality, and many there's a movement that is, I want you to hear me very clearly. As a follower of Christ, I'm going to say to you, keep your damn hands off our children. Let me tell you why. There's something called gender-affirming surgery. Gender-affirming surgery. Okay, if you rename something that's destructive, something good, if you rename a turd something beautiful, it's still a turd. There is nothing, like, girl, little girls, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old. If, if your 8, 9, 10, 11, 12-year-old came to you and said, Daddy, I want a tattoo, no, you're not getting a tattoo. I mean, some people might, but like most of us would be like, no, you're not getting it. You can't get a tattoo until you're 18, but you can go to a doctor and have your breast chopped off and have a fake penis put on your body and people celebrate that? No, not on my watch, not on the church's watch. We will always stand and proclaim, this is what God says. This is what we believe. Keep your hands off our children. I uh, I'm just telling y'all, like, if I'm ever in Target with Shannon and Karis, by the way, that's a miracle if I'm there with Shannon and Karis because, men, when we go to Target, I know what I want. I go in, I get it, I leave. They're there for the experience. (laughs) They'll say things like, I didn't know I needed that. And I'm like, you don't, let's go. (laughs) But I've told people, if I'm ever standing outside the 
the bathroom and they're in the bathroom and a biological male tries to walk in, it ain't gonna happen. I'm not transphobic. I'm not mean. I'm not trying to start a fight. I'm just telling you, as my, my job as a husband and a father is to defend my wife and my daughter. I will do that. Does, and at the end of the day, don't care who likes it or don't care who hates it. Because Jesus fought for the weak, the marginalized, and the oppressed. And we're called to do the same. Which leads to number four. Godly man will be passionate about what Jesus is passionate about. I, uh, a few years ago, a buddy of mine decided to, to buy our children bicycles. And I don't know if you ever bought your kid a bike, but you got to put that thing together. So I'm on the phone with the people we're buying the bicycle from, and I said, I said, I got a question. I said, do you have, you have somebody there that like puts these things together for you? Because um, I knew if I was going to put it together, number one, it wasn't going to happen. Number two, I was going to go so far backwards in my walk with Christ because <laughs> lots and lots and lots of not good words. And what the guy on the phone didn't understand is he had me. He could have told me it was $5,000 and I would have figured out a way to make it happen. But he said, oh, yes, sir. He said, for an additional $50, we'll put it together for you. I said, $50? He said, I said, dude, put a bow on it and I'll give you $75. <laughs> My buddy said, I ain't doing that. I said, what? He said, I got two degrees from college. I don't need nobody to tell me. I don't need no, I can put it together myself. I said, okay. So, I give Karis her bike, right? He goes home, and this is what his wife told me. He didn't tell me the story. His wife told me after he'd been in the garage for four hours, she goes out and goes, how's it, how's it going? He had the handlebars on, <laughs> parts everywhere. And her being a woman, she asked him a very logical question. Did you read the, say, yeah, yeah. And him being a man, he said, No. And she said, listen, Mr. Two Degrees, I, I, know, I know you're smart. I know you got some stuff figured out, but doesn't it make sense to actually pay attention to the instruction manual? Doesn't it make sense that the, that the people that created the bike know how to put it together? And he said, after about 30 minutes, finally reading the instructions, he had the bike assembled. He wasted four hours doing what he could have done in 30 minutes had he read the instructions. Men, I'm just asking this question. What if we got passionate about what Jesus was passionate about? What if, what if we started, what if we stopped saying, Jesus, do this for me, and we started saying, Jesus, what do you want to do in me? What do you want me to be on fire for? Because, because John wrote down, then his disciples remembered this prophecy from the scriptures, passion for God's house will consume me. Passion. What would happen, men, if we got passionate for the house? What would happen if we, we allowed God to set us on fire for what he created us for? Because when he created us, when he designed us, he had a plan and a purpose in mind. And if we began to ask God, God, set me on fire with your passion, what could happen? What could change? What would change in our lives? He's, he's still changing me in this area because I'm asking him just about daily, God, what is it that you want me to do? Why did you create me? And listen, listen, I want to stop real quick. I want every man to listen to me. Men, it's time to stop making excuses. I'm not talking to all the men, but I am talking to most of the men. I'm sorry about your dad. Sorry about your dad. I'm sorry that he abandoned you. I'm sorry that he abused you. I'm sorry that he was apathetic towards you. It sucked. Because I had a dad that abandoned me and was abusive to me too. But you know what? If you're a man, there comes a time when you stop using him as an excuse. 
Because your earthly father, absolutely, he disappointed you, he hurt you, he rejected you, he walked out on you. But as followers of Christ, we have a heavenly father. And he said, I will never leave you. And I will never forsake you. And I will always be with you. And I will always love you. And I will never stop pursuing you. And I will never stop doing good for you. And I will always want greater things for you. I will always have your back. I will always love. You will always be my child. That's who our Heavenly Father says that we are. And at the end of the day, even if we've got the most jacked up relationship in the world with our earthly father, our Heavenly Father says, hey, hey, look at me. Let me set you on fire with why I created you. Let me do something in you and through you that only I can do. And those kind of men, they change the world. They change the world. So remain seated with heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, I just want to pray over the men in this room. Men, Jesus, who absolutely, God, want to have a heart for you. Right now, with heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to ask all the men, if something struck a chord with you in this message, you know you need to be intentional in your pursuit of Jesus. You, need, you want to see as Jesus sees. You want to be strong in, in Christ. You want him to fill you with his passion for your life. You're like, Pastor P, that, I want that. That's what I want for me. That's what I want for me and my family or my one day, soon, like one day family. If that's you, sir, I would love to pray for you right now. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand though. I'm just going to ask you to stand up right where you're at. And don't look around. If you're a man and you're like, that's the man I want to be. That's the man I want to become. That's, that's the man that, thank you, sir. Thank you, there are men standing. Don't, don't look around. If God is telling you to take a stand right now, you just take a stand. If you're a man in this room, I want to be passionate about what Jesus wants me to be passionate about. I want to be intentional in the way I seek him and pursue him. I want Jesus to do a work in me that changes me for the good. Some, some of you may not be standing because you're like, I'm, I'm not where I want to be. That's not what this is about. This isn't, I'm where I want to be. This is, this is Jesus. I want to be more of the man that you want me to be. I want to invite you to stand right now. That's you. I just want to pray over you. I just want to pray for you. People are still standing, so I'm gonna give just a couple of extra seconds. Amen, sir. Amen. Father, I want to pray over every man standing right now. God, that he would have a heart and a mind focused on you. Jesus, a heart wide open. Jesus, that that these men standing today, God would literally leave this room today and this week just pray, Jesus, help me to see like you want me to see. Jesus, fill me with the passion that you want me to have. God, show me your purpose for my life. Help me to pursue you on a daily basis. Jesus, help me to become the man that you've called me to be. If everybody else would stand for closing prayer. Father, I wanna thank you today, God, for your word. I wanna thank you that your word is true. I wanna thank you that your word is eternal. I wanna thank you that your love is unconditional. I wanna thank you that your power is, God, that no one or nothing on the planet can match your power. 
Jesus, I wanna pray for every single person in this room, man and woman. God, that we would walk out of this place knowing that we've had an experience with you. With heads still bowed and eyes still closed, maybe you're here today and you've never prayed to receive Christ. You've never asked Jesus to come in your life. You can't pursue somebody you don't know and you can't be passionate about something that you're not connected with. And you know today, as you've listened to this message, that you need Jesus in your life. I wanna invite you right now, right where you stand, to pray and ask Christ to come in your life. I'm gonna ask you to pray out loud, but you don't have to pray alone because our church family is gonna pray it with you. Church family, I want us to pray this out loud together for the purpose of those that are praying it for the first time. If you know you need Christ, pray this out loud. We're gonna pray it with you. Say, Jesus Christ. Say it out loud, say, Jesus Christ. I know that I'm a sinner and I need you as my savior. I receive you right now, Jesus. Come into my life and take over. I accept you as my savior and my Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Now with heads bowed and eyes closed all over this room, if you just prayed that prayer out loud, you just asked Christ to come in your life. Right now, I wanna pray for you. Do me a hand and put your hand straight up in the air. I want you to put your hand straight up in the air. Amen, amen, I wanna pray with you. I wanna pray for you, just leave them up. Hey, leave them up, amen, amen, amen. Anybody else? Leave them up. Father, I wanna thank you for lifted hands. I wanna thank you for changed lives. I wanna thank you, God, for your word. I wanna thank you, God, for your power. God, I wanna thank you for what you're doing in our lives. God, I wanna thank you for what you're doing in our church. God, I wanna thank you that today you began a work in some men that you're gonna carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Father, I pray that as we walk out of this room, we'll walk out of the room knowing, God, that you have been good to us, you are good to us, and you're going to be good to us because that's who you are and what you do. And everybody that agreed said, amen and amen. Thank you so much for being here today. We'll see you guys next week. God bless.